Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Someday you will find me company the landslide in a champagne supernova. A champagne supernova in the sky. I just like how they say supernova. Supernova. Yeah. Amazing. That was great. Look at that. You got <laughs> we, did it. we did it. Got we did three-part harmony. You. Perfectly. Uh, that is not what harmonies are, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? You are watching slash listening to the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. And today, we have a very special episode about how to play control in Commander, and we brought in a very special guest for this episode. It is DJ from Jumbo Commander. Hey, Hi. DJ. Hi. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. I want to talk about some control. I want to talk about some control too. It's actually one of our most hotly requested topics. People are always asking us about playing control in Magic. And while Josh, neither Josh and I are hard control players, it's something that I definitely shy away from being a red player. But Josh has a little more familiarity with it. Uh, but it's going to be great. You wrote the outline for today's episode. So we're very excited. So thank you for that, DJ. Okay. But before we get into it, we're going to talk about a bunch of counter spells and other things that you're probably going to want to go buy. And where you should buy them is cardkingdom.com slash command zone. If you use hey. that affiliate link, when you purchase your magic products and singles, you will be supporting this show, supporting game nights and all of our content. That's right. Another way to support the Shabo, the Shabo, Shabo is Ultra Pro. Ultra Pro is sponsor of the show. You can buy Ultra Pro products pretty much any LGS you go to. And hey, if you want to sleeve up that counter spell so it looks real nice when you flick it on the table and say, I counter that, you can just go ahead and buy some Ultra Pro products, including Eclipse sleeves, which now come in 100 packs. Did you know that, DJ? I did. Oh, well, yeah. there you go. I See? listened to your guy's show. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And the last You know why to... DJ listens to our show? Because DJ oh, is right. a patron of the show. Yeah. If you want to support all of our content directly, you can go to patreon.com slash command zone. In fact, we call out one lucky patron every single episode. In this episode, I guess technically we will have called out two. But this episode is dedicated to Daniel, Daniel Grumio. Sounds French. Daniel. You rock. I'm sorry that we butchered your name, but you still rock, even we did, though we, we did that. I think you guys did a good job on that. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Grumio? Gr- it's if you it's want got to go, a little gr. Yeah, yeah, that's how it sounds. Grumio. 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 Yeah. Okay. But he's probably just ha, Grumio. Ha, 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 ha. That's it. That's, my, oh that's my. all of my friends. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's probably just Grumio. All right. Uh, DJ, before we get into it, can you give us a little breakdown of Jumbo Commander, how you came into being, and what's the etymology of the name Jumbo Commander? Oh, wait, we should say really quick before you go into that. Jumbo Commander is DJ's YouTube channel. If you haven't checked it out, you should definitely go over there. You do deck breakdowns. You you recently did a video about Brawl. You're very much in the Commander EDH space. It's all all Commander stuff. I occasionally delve into some other subjects, but my bread and butter is deck techs. I love breaking down decks, especially random wonky commanders. And I really do like to ramble about and geek out about all of the Commander format. Cool. It's really exciting, yeah. That is exciting. So big question. Why is it called Jumbo Commander? Uh, actually, it's called Jumbo Commander because my grandfather uh, had a business. It was called Jumbo Equipment Company. It was based in Los Angeles. It sold like tractors and farm what? equipment and stuff like that. that yeah, was years and years Jumbo and years stuff. ago. Yeah, it was Jumbo, and it had the huh. an elephant as the logo, and uh, that was sort of the family business. And so I was thinking, well, what kind of thing am I going to do? Um, do you know what? We'll just keep it keep it in the family. That's like Jumbo it. Commander. I like it. I like it a lot too. Is Jumbo still around? Can I buy a tractor? You cannot buy a tractor. No, we right. very few tractors are being sold out of downtown <laughs> Los, Los Angeles. So. <laughs> All right. Let's go on to our main topic here. It is how to play control. In order to begin this discussion, we should probably answer a question. What is control? 
DJ, you want to field this one? Yeah. Well, control is basically when there are more answers than questions. So you're trying to essentially control not just little parts of the game, but the entire game. Lock Mm. everything down. You're trying to achieve inevitability of the table. And then once you've made sure that you have control, then you transition and try to win the game. Yeah. I like what you said there about more answers than questions. I think there's kind of two types of decks if you wanted to break it down. Mm-hmm. One is really proactively going after their game plan of like doing, accomplishing something specific. And one is more in the sort of side of like, I'm going to blunt what everyone else is doing. So I'm going to stop their plan. And then my plan near the end will be like, uh, whatever's at hand, I'll kind of finish you off. Absolutely. And I think that there's a lot of ways that you can be really reactive, that you have answers to everything. And then you can kind of have these other kinds where you're more proactive, where you prevent them from doing anything to begin with. Uh, decks like stacks or taxation, mm-hmm. uh, land destruction, you're preventing them from having their game plan go off at all. Or you kind of sit back a little bit. You're more reactive. You have that counterspell you're holding. You have that removal that you're holding. So there's kind of a spectrum of the types of different control decks that you can start. Now, it says on the paper here, change the rules of the game. What did you mean when you were writing that in terms of control? Yeah, um, I actually put that down. I just meant that control decks have a tendency to sort of play cards that sort of big enchantments or something maybe mm-hmm. that would like change the rules of the game in the way that like, well, taxation's a good one where like the new rule of the game is your spells cost more or stasis is kind of changing the rules of the game, right? right. You're supposed to get an untap step. No, I just changed the rules. You don't get an untap step anymore. Winter orb is another um, of that kind of change the rules of the game or like knowledge pool or something crazy could be that too. I like your idea of enchantments changing the rules like propaganda or ghostly prison. Like I should be able to attack freely and now you can't. Right. Mm-hmm. Humility. I like having creatures. Just kidding. They're all one ones. Yes. Good. So that's, that's like so just, yeah, they're just like amending the normal rules with like, nope, I just played a card. Different right. rules now. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about, so now we know sort of what a control deck is. Let's talk about the advantages and disadvantages of playing a control deck. So, What are some of the advantages? I think some of the advantages of playing a control deck in Commander is that you have so much more time. Time seems to be the enemy in other formats Mm -hmm. where you have to fight against your opponent taking you out. But it's a multiplayer setting. There's a lot of people to attack. You have 40 life. That's a lot of life to pad uh, your development and let Mm -hmm. you set things up. And uh, also in this format, there's less aggro. I'm sorry. I mean, there's there's red That's decks. True. There's red decks in there, but there really isn't those decks that come at you. And so a lot of times you have the time to set up a controlling strategy. Yeah. And like standard or something, aggro would be the foil to control right. because it gets out so fast that yeah. control just kind of, they're back on their heels and they can't get them under control. But in our format... Eh, sorry, Agro's not that great. <laughs> yeah, and what you see in Standard 2 is that the control deck has to essentially change its strategy from the bo- bottom to the top. They put in a lot more low drops creatures so that they can block early, and it makes it a much tougher thing for them because they all of a sudden have to change the actual essence of what their deck's about. So does not happen as much in Commander, fortunately. Yeah, the next point we have down is very challenging, many decision points. I actually believe that control decks are the hardest types of decks to play, mm-hmm. and that's generally why... In especially in competitive formats, legacy, modern, standard, uh, the pros and very good players tend to sort of gravitate towards more controlling decks because they just figure if I'm going to present a bunch of difficult decisions throughout a game, the better player is going to come out on top in the end, making better decisions more often. Right. Putting more control in their hands too. And 
it's sort of one of those things. I mean, you, you obviously are a control player yourself. Have you found that over time the decision points have become easier? Because it's a different playing field now. That you're yeah, yeah, it. and I think they do. And I think that one thing is that uh, going through all of these steps and thinking critically mm-hmm. about what's good in control, what's bad in control, the advantages and disadvantages helps make you a better control player. Right. So just listening to this, watching this is going to make you a better control player and also make you better at dealing with control. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, one Another reason to listen to this episode, even if you have no desire ever to play control, and I know a lot of people just don't like it, it's a good thing to sort of hear the thinking of your opponent because when you play against it, all of a sudden you have some advantages. Oh, I know they're thinking they want to do this and that, therefore I have a foil to that. Right. Um, the thing I wrote down here is you rarely feel helpless. You know, one thing I really like about control and is just you have a very satisfied feeling most of the time in the game of like nothing gets played where you're like, uh-oh, I can't handle that. Now, right. you might be like, there's three things. I can't handle all three, but anyone, <laughs> I got it. So... I'm not super worried. You know what I mean? The control player is usually the one sitting back like, I'm not worried about that. And that's that's kind of fun. Those decision points, that ability to answer everything that, that you're sitting back and you kind of have control over mm-hmm. the table. That's kind of a good feeling. It's, a, it's kind of fun. Well, you have that political control too because if it's like, hey, this enchantment may not be murdering me right now, but if it's taking out one person I need as an ally or it's really affecting their board because they're so proactive in their game plan, they're not really thinking about dealing with that stuff. Striking up deals seems like a much more appealing thing to those people, even if it is kind of like a deal with the devil, because ultimately you're the control deck. You're going to want to be the person that also stops them after you help them. I like that. There's political opportunities. You can have more table talk. You can interact with people more with control decks. Uh, If people look at your board and that's everything, then Mm -hmm. where's your bluffing? Where's your interaction with other players? So with the control deck, you can open up the table, have a little bit of table talk, throw some politics around. Yeah, I do like doing that. Now let's talk about some of the disadvantages. Obviously, the first one that comes to mind is that you're not playing a one-on-one game. So all of a sudden, instead of dealing with for instance, in Standard or, or Legacy, you're dealing with a 60-card deck. Now you're dealing with 300-card decks against you. And there will come a point, I feel like, in most control games where you're going to feel like you can't answer everything. And is that okay? I mean, absolutely. You are starting off at a disadvantage. If you're playing 1v1, then you draw a card and they draw a card. Mm-hmm. You draw a card and they You're at parity. Uh, then suddenly you're at a commander table and you draw a card and an opponent each draws a card around. So... You draw one card to your opponent's collected three. Right. You're at a disadvantage all the time. Mm-hmm. You you just can't deal with that advantage. So that's where, why you have to play around and use a lot of the strategies that we're going to present to you today. Do you find that you always view yourself as a 1v3 situation if you're in a four-player game as the control player? Uh, I think that that's actually one of the pitfalls is that you're trying to fight everyone individually. I think that you have to keep in the back of your mind. I need to answer any critical threat from each one of those players. But if you're thinking it's me against the world, you're going to lose. Right. Yeah. You just won't have the resources to deal with everything. There may be a point in a control deck where you can get there, where you lock it down. Yeah. You're going to have to get there. But in the early game, you're generally like... If you start being like, remove that, remove that, remove that, remove that, remove that, oh, I got no cards. How about you guys? Well, I only lost two cards, yeah. so I'm fine. <laughs> and you we know? all hate you now. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you're dead. Um, the next point we have under disadvantages is the commanders keep coming back. Ugh. <laughs> so this is in control traditionally in 1v1 formats. It's an attrition war where you're kind of eking out an advantage on every decision that eventually leads you to the point where you know, you've answered everything they had. And at a couple of points along the way, you actually 
you know, answered something and drew a card, or your answer was a creature, so now you're left over with that creature. And so you slowly eke out to this point where, like, I just built myself two or three extra cards over the course of doing that. Um, harder in Commander, because at the very least, the Commander just keeps coming back. Yeah, and a lot of decks are built around their commanders, right? We're not at the point where everyone's just being, I'm just going to make five-color good stuff. And if the commander is the main part of the deck and it's a thing that you're like, great, well, I can exile it this time. So it actually doesn't matter. You can kill it this time. doesn't matter. They have a way to bring it back. And I feel like control decks often have to deal with this. They'll play like surgical extractions or cards like that that get rid of every single copy of that card because they're playing a four of if it's a really important card. But in Commander, it just is a matter of time. Like you said, you're battling with time as an advantage, and the players that need the extra time to cast their commanders again to get their game plan going again as well is also going to be turned against you in the same way. Yeah, we talk about timing and how the commanders keep coming back. Uh, one thing that is happens in Standard is that you feel like if the game goes long enough that you can, as a control deck, win. Mm -hmm. Inevitability. Exactly. But in Commander, a lot of decks have really powerful top ends. Right. Even non-control decks. And so you need to be able to deal with their top end as well. Right, right. And you're also dealing with every card in the history of Magic, except for a select few. <laughs> <laughs> Over 17,000 cards, uh, yeah, that you have to deal with. That's, uh, that's pretty steep right there. Yeah, it's a pretty big thing. And they'll say in like standard formats that it's very difficult for a control deck to say win the Pro Tour because when metas are very new, a, a brewer building a control deck doesn't necessarily know what to prepare for. And right. it's very mm -hmm. difficult to be prepared for everything. And so later in the format, once the big decks have been established and they know like, oh, I'm going to need some artifact uh, denial and I'm going to need to deal with this specific creature because those are the sort of the most played cards. Now I can build my control deck. Yeah. In Commander, you're always in the first position where you're like, <laughs> it could be anything because anybody, first of all, anything's really playable. And second of all, people have like 17 different decks. So you don't know what they're going to pull out. Yeah. So, you know, you could be like, well, I, I, it just turned out I needed more enchantment removal this game, and I just only have a little bit. You know? Right, yeah. right. Well, let's move on to the next big topic, which is how to build a control deck. And, you know, obviously, like we just said, knowing your meta is a very, very important part. I have this kind of thing that, like Josh has said, when Pro Tour builders are first building a deck out of nowhere, they don't know how to do it. Like, yeah, do it, yeah, DJ, do yeah, it. Do, 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 do. I'm going to do, 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 do a float. I'm going to do just like a float off there. It was so yeah, peaceful. Nice. Yeah, that I was like nice. Because I feel like one of the pitfalls of making a control deck is sometimes you get a little overzealous being like, well, I'm just going to have answers to everything. And instead of having a more cohesive plan, now you have 20 cards that all affect 20 different things. And all of a sudden your control deck is just luck of the draw. You're, you're hoping that you draw into the right answers at the right time instead of sort of building in that inevitability. Have you found that building to a meta is more important or building to a general, like this is what commander players normally do and I'll affect that? I think in order to be the most successful, you need to build to a meta. Uh, and this naturally happens in standard and modern. They have sideboards mm -hmm. and they tailor their sideboards to deal with specific strategies. We don't have sideboards. We have to front load a lot of our sideboarding. And so you should prepare yourselves and you should know your meta a little bit. Honestly, I don't need to worry about people coming at me really quickly in my meta. Um, what would happen if uh, you guys weren't able to deal with infect in the first couple turns? Yeah. We die. We have, to, <laughs> we have to deal with things coming at us early. Yeah. Really knows. quickly, really quickly. <laughs> yeah, very yeah. quickly, yeah. Uh, honestly, uh, I can wait and turn five or six can be my first board wipe, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. And uh, and It's funny because yeah. because of our commander damage conversation, like when Commander Summit a few episodes ago, a lot of people came at me like, you must never play against Voltron. And I'm like, no, I do all the time. But the problem is that we have Craig Blanchett in our, in our uh, meta, and therefore my decks are all built to 
be good against Infect, mm. which default makes them good against Voltron because it's this mm-hmm. you kind of use the same things against both. And so all of a sudden, yeah, of course, I never die to commander damage, even though I face Voltron all the time because all my decks are built to beat you know, a creature getting pumped, coming at me, hitting me for just a little bit of damage. Right. Yeah. Uh, That might mean if you go to a GP or a different meta that you might have a lot of really fast answers to things and then maybe your deck isn't quite big enough to be able to turn the corner in a control strategy. Uh, And hopefully we'll be able to give you some of the tools to make sure that your decks are really well balanced. I think balance Mm -hmm. is important. If we're talking about these specifics of knowing your meta, going after graveyard, going after infect, going after all these combo players, ultimately a balanced deck will be able to answer all of these different strategies. Yeah, there we got creatures, infect, Voltron, combo, other control decks, graveyards, synergy stuff, tokens. There's so many. There's so many. So many things to worry about. Yeah. Um, in that case, you want answers that obviously, like we just said, are versatile. So single target removal is something that we always harp on and whether or not you need so much of it or how much you need in your deck. Because you don't want to overload any deck with too much single target removal. But then you have cards like Chaos Warp or Anguish and Making that can target non-land permanents. It, it doesn't have to specify only creatures or only this or that. And have you found that when you're playing like a, a bevy of counterspells, obviously just counterspell is great. But then certain counterspells are just counter-target creature spell. Do you try to find only counterspells that are versatile, or are you occasionally okay putting in more specific targeted counterspells and stuff? Uh, there are a few cases where I, where I really like specific targeted counterspells. Dispel. Mm-hmm. I think Dispel is great because it essentially is a counter another counter. Mm-hmm. It oftentimes counters things that go on on your turn, right. which is really good. Uh, I also like Swan Song. I know you guys are a fan of Swan Song as well. Uh, but ultimately, I think the problem with counterspells, they're so versatile. They answer almost everything, but the way that they're not versatile is in timing. Yeah, right. You have to be so reactive. You have to be right there in order to counter that spell. And you have to counter it before you know what that threat is like. So if your opponents are playing a big creature, you might want to counter that spell, but what if that creature isn't aimed at you? Mm-hmm. What if it's going at another player? If you have targeted removal like that anguished unmaking, you can wait until that creature swings at you, then maybe even convince your opponent to swing in another direction. Right. With the counter spell, you got to be right there. So it's versatile in terms of answering almost anything, artifacts, enchantments, creatures, all that stuff, but it's not really versatile in terms of its timing. Yeah, I think versatility is always sort of this tug and pull between versatility versus efficiency, right? Mm, so yeah. you're kind of like Swords of Plowshares. Great card, super efficient. Same time, Anguish on Making will get rid of an enchantment, an artifact, a planeswalker. Yeah. Swords of Plowshares won't get out of those situations where you need to get rid of enchantment, but it only costs one mana. Yeah. So I think that's the tug and pull that you're sort of always in. And I usually err on the side of versatility over efficiency. Um, in my control decks and commander anyway, because it's generally life and death to be able to answer the correct thing. Right. And it's less life and death to be able to do it efficiently. It's more life and death of like, oh, I just learned that that thing's going to kill me. I learned it because he turned it sideways and said my name. Right. So at that moment, whatever that thing is, I don't want to be holding you know the wrong type of removal. Mm-hmm. I want the right type. And if it costs a couple extra... At least I live. That's worth That's it. That's right. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, obviously, in the control suite, there are just so many different things you can do. You know, just having a versatile answer is one thing, but there are also ways that, you know, like you said, commanders can get replayed. So what are some cards that you like that are, as we wrote down here, difficult to interact with? Yeah. Uh, you want to control the game. That's that's your starting point. And you don't want answers that have they're easy for your opponents to interact with. So a card like 
uh, what did we write down here? Song of the Dryads. Oh my gosh, Song of the Dryads. See, this card. <laughs> it's great because turning their commander into a forest, it's so hard for them to interact with. You kill their commander, it goes to the graveyard, boop, right back in the command zone. You kill some of their cards and they, they're fine with it in the graveyard. But you turn it into a forest, man, it just stays there on the battlefield. It even mocks them as they tap it for mana. Right, it's great. Right. I love it. <laughs> What's uh, but, the blue one? The moon? Uh, ca- something caught in the moon. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's trapped in the moon or entrapped in the moon. I don't know. Either where way, where would they put Emrakul? They it's turn where Emrakul's in, right. yeah. in there. Yeah. It's the same Imprisoned same in idea. Imprisoned in, in the moon. Yes, we'll find out we'll very soon. Out. But keep talking, guys. Uh, I also like it when it's really difficult to interact with the stuff. So we talked about Song of the Dryads being really difficult to interact with, but. I like my stuff uncounterable. Supreme Verdict, it's right. a board wipe that you can't really interact with. Those creatures are going away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Split Second, too, so incredibly powerful just because, especially if you're playing another control deck, right? How often do you find yourself facing another control deck or another person that wants to have a similar controlling strategy? I think a lot of decks in Commander are this mid-range that extend into control. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times those mid-range decks will be able to have control elements that you need to be able to deal with much more so than in other formats. Josh, you talk about how you want to have an answer for everything, even in your mid-range decks. Yeah. And so you're going to have to deal with a lot of people disrupting you, even if they don't have uh, particularly strong control strategies. Right. And we have Strip Mine down here as well as just quite possibly the best land in Commander. And Outside lands of are, Command Tower. <laughs> and, and right, that's not like a normally counterable thing. Obviously, you can stifle and do some things to it, but it's not the type of effect because it's on a land, right? So I play the land, can't counter that. Yeah. I sacrifice the land to destroy one of yours. Yes, technically there are things that, that uh, interact with that, but they're rare. Yeah. There are yeah. corner cases for everything. Yeah. Like you could venture my board wipe back to my hand, even though split it's uncounterable. Split second, morph can kind of get in the way of split second sometimes exactly. in a weird way. But again, you're not running into that very often. Exactly. Yeah. And not to mention if any deck can play a strip mine, which any deck can, and you want to add the smallest controlling element to it, there's no reason not to play a card like that. I do often find that these difficult to interact with interactions that you have are game winning because there's usually a moment that you kind of see coming where there's going to be a little bit of a showdown and having a trump card at the sort of end of it, at the tail end of it, and oftentimes it's a split second thing. It's, yeah. the, it's the thing they're not going to account for. They're ready and everybody knows you've got untapped man and they're going to do a thing and you're going to respond to it and they're going to respond to that, but you have the split second card. You have the supreme verdict. You yeah. know? They yeah. played all their stuff but left up enough mana to counter your wrath so they think they're safe and then boom. I should have a note that anyone that's listening or watching and hearing giant crashes from above us, they're filming on the rooftop. So if it, if it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool, yeah. yeah. It's, it's as though the apocalypse it's cool. is happening. It's, it's not cool. It's, there's, <laughs> there's unfortunately nothing that we can do to control that situation. You couldn't come up with like a more interesting lie or anything like that? Uh, I know, we're, right. we're under the bombardment. We're under there's bombardment, a, there's yeah. A, there's, a, there's the actually a paintball landed. competition like going <laughs> yeah. on just right outside. It's like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, all right, X for ones. This is probably the control element that I think most decks have the most familiarity with because they... It means single cards that deal with a lot of cards at once. Everyone is pl- going to play a board wipe or a wrath of some kind to deal with the board. And in Commander, like we said before, they're just so much better because instead of just one person's board you're getting rid of, you're getting rid of everyone's board. And you might get a 10 for one, a 15 for one. I've seen like 100 for ones because of tokens before. Oh, yeah. So. And this is where you make up that disadvantage that you have by being at a multiplayer format is getting these X for ones. And we're not talking about just like two for ones or three for ones. It's those 15 for ones yeah. that really pull you back into a game. Yeah. yeah. 
Tragic Arrogance. I think more people need to be playing this card. It's one of my favorite cards. I don't think people realize just how good it is. Now, we've had similar effects in the past, but Tragic Arrogance is just one of the... I mean, just read the card, put it in your deck, and see what happens when you cast it. It's um, keep your best stuff. Everybody else keeps their worst stuff. Yeah. I like how political it is, too, because you can pick one opponent that's your friend now, and you can let them keep something you can just you know what you can have that good thing and then you've made a friend and you can really rebalance the board in your favor yeah, you can often keep two things if you think of one of your things is just going to be on somebody else's board but you got to control it because you said i'll let you keep that but you have to hit them with it yeah That's exactly right. And that is often a deal I'll make pretty much every time if it means keeping one of my best It's either I don't have it or I just can only use it against that person. Well, you know, I need to kill them eventually too. It's one of those situations too where if you're the person that is being forced to do it by the the control player, you don't actually have to feel that bad because you can always point the blame like, well, they made me do it. It's it's not like like I'm the one that willingly is wanting to try and kill you with this card now. So you get a little bit of free leeway in in that world. So we've talked a lot about card advantage and you know, classically, that's kind of the way that control wins, like I talked about before. Um, one of the things I think that a lot of people have a problem with is sort of the difference between card advantage and card selection, which is which why both are good, but why they're different and sort of needed. Like, why do I only want one or why do I need both or which one is this specific card? So I thought we could talk about card selection and card advantage here. Um, first of all, what's the difference between the two and why do you need both? Yeah, card advantage is based on your cards versus your opponent's cards. You have resources. And for every card that you have, it should be balanced against your opponent. When I say that your opponents are drawing multiple cards and you're only drawing one, then they are having the advantage. If you do something very simple, like cast a divination, you've Mm -hmm. spent one card and drawn two. That is card advantage. You've gone up a card on your opponent. If you play something like a Howling Mine and both of you are drawing an extra card a turn, you you haven't actually realized the advantage. There You're are other a card ways to, because Howling Mine is your card. Yeah, yeah. you spent one yeah. card and they've spent nothing to be benefiting. Exactly. From it. And so there's other situations that can get advantage, but we're talking about pure card advantage. Now, card selection is simply getting the right card at the right time. And you can imagine that in control decks, that's really important. Right. That's why we have versatile answers. That's why we need to answer things on the board. So we need to get the right card. And sometimes getting the right card is worth a disadvantage. Mystical Tutor. Uh, It's card disadvantage. You're spending a card to set up your next draw. Right. Yeah, the card doesn't go into your hand. It It doesn't go into the top of your library. Yeah. Yeah. So you're spending a card just for selection. Sometimes that's really good. That's what you need. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is why you need to balance it in your control decks. You need both. You need raw cards. Hopefully something that's recurrable. You keep drawing cards over and over and over again. Uh, those Mystic Remoras and uh, all of those. Studies. Oh, Ristic Studies. Everyone's Phyrexian Arenas. Right. All that thing where you just keep getting cards. That's sort of the raw card advantage where you're going up cards against your opponents. But also you need that right card. You need mm-hmm. the Demonic Tutors. You need uh, maybe the way to select certain cards. I like Dig Through Time. Even though you're up two cards for one card, you get to dig so deep. I think of that more as a, as a card selection tool right. than for a sure. card advantage tool. Also, it's an instant. Yeah, oh. that's a big part of it. And I you think. can cast it for two man a lot of times. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you brought up tutors so much because this is something we get asked at constantly and we'll still be asked after this. But people, they want to know, like, are tutors card draw? No. 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 They're card selection. Yeah. Unless the tutor says draw cards on top of it, you know, but you're spending a card to get a card and oftentimes not even into your hand on the top of your library. So It's card selection. You're finding a specific card. Mm-hmm. card draw is when you're just getting raw amount of cards but you don't necessarily know what those are exactly. both are good 
Because again, if I got to answer a question you've posed and you've posed and you've posed, I need three cards to do that. And that's untenable unless <laughs> I'm drawing more cards than you guys are. Right. And in control decks, you need both of that. Right. You need card advantage, you need selections, you need to have just the massive amount of cards, but you need to have the right card at the right time. That's why versatile answers that we talked about before, if you just draw cards, then a lot of times you'll draw into one of those versatile answers. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you need something really specific for a format that plays so many cards. You need your bajuka bog, yeah, you, you know, it. you don't have a million like graveyard hate cards in your deck. You have a lot exactly. of like destroy something, you know, exile something, mm -hmm. but you don't have a ton of like get rid of your graveyard or enchantment removal can kind of fall in this category too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, but that enchantment's going to kill me, so I better go find <laughs> that card right now that gets rid of that enchantment. Yeah, is that, that feels like one of the worst moments in Control where it's like, I wish I had more choices right now, but I have to deal with this singular threat, otherwise my game is going to end. I yep. don't get the choice to sit back and be like, well, maybe I'll deal with this. It's like, no, it has to go, so I need to spend a lot of resources to get there, which is why it's really important to get that card advantage. Well, that's also why card selection becomes really important, because eventually you'll need to find that win condition. You'll need to go in and find that thing that wins the game, and that's where you need those tutors. That's where Look you at need this guy. the guy. He's a pro. He's just yeah. segued us right into it. I love it. Yep. Um, so that is the part I think that a lot of people forget. <laughs> winning the game. Winning the game. It's you got to turn the corner. I, you know, you run into these players, and they like control. Uh, they just they just don't like the winning part. But I think it's very important. And I think something you wrote down is like, you must devote some space <laughs> to winning the game. Yeah. It's okay, guys. You don't have to win the game if you're playing against me. You can just control everything. Yeah, that's fine, fine too. Yeah. Yeah. Same, okay. same for me, for yeah. sure. As, uh, long as, you know, as long as you're okay with me scooping if it gets too controlling, if the humility <laughs> is never going to leave the battlefield. <laughs> you just you and, and typically, control decks have less win conditions than normal decks, right? And, and a lot of times... Like, I have control decks or decks that lean controlly that really, if I'm honest, like, there's like three or four ways it could win. I mean, cards. And that, mm -hmm. that actually is good. That's yeah. a good sign for your control deck. The fact that you are not devoting a lot of spaces to winning. I mean, you can't. Because if you do, then you can't answer stuff. Yeah. So most of your deck, the meat of it, you know, 90% of it has to be devoted to the control part. But at some point, you have to have some stuff that's going to let you close it out and win. And so... Well, let's talk about, there's kind of a few different ways that a control deck would normally go about winning. I think the most common is combo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, the fewest slots, honestly. You have two or three cards that can be combined together and you can win the game. And the control deck's really set up in a lot of ways to take advantage of it because A, they have card selection already to find the right answers. And a lot of times that can find, oh, the way to win. And then two, they also have ways to protect the combo. So, you know, whether that's counter spells or whatnot, when you sort of go to win, the control deck's already set up to be able to stop people from stopping you. They have to be able to pivot where you're no longer worried about what they're doing. You're focused on winning. And so all of your disruption, all your answers uh, become defenses for your win condition. So combos one way, um, but there are other ways. So sometimes you see a control deck that sort of like protects one single threat. Uh, you wrote down your favorite, which was Metallurgic Summoning. Oh, yeah. A lot oh, of people yeah. have seen Talran decks do this, where yeah. they just put out a bunch of drakes. Uh, I have a Noyan Dar deck, so I'll animate my lands nice. jankily and attack in. Uh, I'm a big fan of Metallurgic Summonings because uh, that's a single card. That's a win condition. I think it's great. Yeah, it's yeah. got everything on it, right? Oh, to, yeah. To, to make it work. Um, Elspeth, I think, is one that I've seen sort of do this. Elspeth Sun's champion. Right. Because everything is needed on the card. It wipes the board, and then it starts making soldiers. And as long as you can protect Elspeth, 
eventually she ults. Everything's huge. She makes tons of things. It was like, a big deal in standard yeah, where yeah. you just landed your Elspeth and then suddenly it's like, well, what do we do? It just yeah. keeps, it keeps putting out blockers. It wipes the board and then eventually it'll overwhelm your opponent. So cards that are versatile like that, versatile win conditions, man. And that's one reason why I like metallurgic summonings too, is that you can crack it and get a lot of your answers back if your winning technically fails. And right. so versatile win conditions are really solid. Yeah, it's and you know we're going sort of down the tier list here. Combo is the sort of thing where it happens, you win the game, and if people can't interact mm -hmm. with it, there's nothing they can do. Protecting a single threat takes a little more time to develop, and then we're getting into the more drawn out things, like trying to just lock down the opponents to the point where it's like, well, you guys can't do anything, you're all going to mill out eventually, <laughs> so you may as well scoop. That is almost, it's not a combo, but it takes the most amount of turns, and then stuff like... like yeah, like Pickles Lock or something. Yeah, like yeah. If somebody gets the Pickles Lock on you, which is the um, Brine Elemental and the Vesuvian Shapeshifter, and you can kind of no do a trick where nobody again. gets to untap except you. And what that usually does is like you're in a position where to pull off the lock, and then you're going to play some more stuff and eventually attack and stuff. But once you get the lock... <laughs> That's the part where you sort of won, and the rest is kind of academic. Yeah, that's a little bit. That's a little bit comboy, though. Right. I think. Right. Uh, but it's not infinite, right? Up. And then oh, it can true. be yeah. disrupted. Yeah. It's not like play this, play this, actually win. Yeah. It's play this, play this. Now we're gonna go through a rigmarole here, yeah. and you're gonna make some draw steps. You're probably gonna hit some land drops, and there's gonna be chances in here where you think you can do stuff. Yeah, some decks that like stasis lock you or winter orb or something like that, uh, those can kind of close out a game too. And that's why a lot of times you might want a single big threat. Like uh, we've seen that uh, back with like Aetherling. Remember mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. maybe yep. in standard and like, it's just how do I deal with this one thing? We just sat now with the uh, blue elder dinosaur Nezahal, right? Yeah, right. Where it's like, I guess you have this big thing that's really difficult to deal with. Yep. Yeah, and it can keep coming back. I mean, one of uh, our friends, Wes's win conditions was board wipe, Armageddon, Eldrazi. OG. It was just OG. Get, oh dear. Get yeah. Ulamog out. OG Ulamog and then Armageddon. It's like, how are you gonna win if he's just gonna annihilate your permanence every turn? And it's like, sure, this may be taking five turns, maybe you'll be able to get enough lands to mount some kind of defense, but for the most part it was a scoop him up. We're pretty sure this game is over. Don't scoop, yeah. don't scoop. One time I went. Land. Meekstone. Go. Ooh. Oh. Just saying. Just saying. I think we um, still lost that game, honestly. <laughs> But and it then, took a long time from that point. <laughs> yeah, right? You made them earn it. You know, and, and if you're playing control deck, they're going to have to earn it. Um, uh, well, building the deck is only the beginning, obviously. There's actually one more, I think, oh, win condition. Okay. Sorry, we skipped. Which is just a single powerful effect. I don't like these anymore because I've never won with them. After the first time I won with them, it's it just never happened I mean, again. I, yeah, <laughs> Insurrection is the one we used to talk about all the time. And I think it's still good and can still win. Mm -hmm. So a control deck can just get to the point where it can safely cast that. Right. You know, With Counterspell Backup. With Counterspell Backup yeah. or Boseju. Or, it just gets to the point. And it also let the... You know, the control deck would actually be letting the board build to the point where an insurrection's good. So mm -hmm. it takes a little bit of skill, but you're kind of blunting stuff, but you want stuff on the board you can take. Um, Rise of the Dark Realms is another one. Again, a control deck might get to the point where it has a haste enabler. Right. It's just looking to play that one card. You know, it's a little similar to combo, but it's not in that there's no interaction between two different things that's making it happen. It's just like, boom, 10 mana spell. Yeah. We also see this with Exsanguinate yes, or right. uh, Torment of Hailfire, really. See that a lot, too. Blue Sun yep. Zenith, draw people out oh, as well. right. Yeah, yeah, just to mill someone out immediately. All right, so you've built the deck, um, but then there's another side to it, and this is the side that doesn't get talked about by Magic people enough in general, right? We get really focused on the deck building and the deck and what cards are in there and how many lands and how many answers and blah, 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 blah. We forget. You play the deck. Well, building the deck's my favorite part, Josh. Right. And it's everyone's <laughs> favorite part. It's my favorite part, too. You're already winning. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but control deck, I would say, of all the archetypes, the playing of the deck is actually more important than any other archetype um, as far as the ratio of how important brewing versus playing is. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned, there's so many decision points. That's one of the advantages we actually had before is that it's, it is actually difficult to play. Yeah, which which I love actually. Even though yeah. um, I'm constantly like, I shouldn't have destroyed that. I would have won. I shouldn't have countered that. I would have won. I like you know, how you blah, say blah. that you have so much <laughs> comfort and happiness playing, but it sounds like you're stressed out more than anything else. In that case, well, afterwards, well, you keep like, asking, uh, asking yourself, yeah. like, what do you need to I answer? Like, up. Do yeah. I answer this? Do I answer that? Do I do this? <laughs> it's like you have these always running through your head, and you have to know exactly what you need to answer because you can't answer everything. You right. just can't. So there's kind of two big questions that I thought when you're playing the control deck that I sort of always have in my mind. And number one is what should you answer? Because you can't answer everything, as we said. And number two is when should you answer it? Mm -hmm. So like triaging is like super <laughs> important in a control deck. Um, so I actually think that people are too quick to answer things yes, in control yes, decks. In yes. general. In general. They they feel like they have open mana, they have a card in their hand, they want to use it. Yeah. And yes. so they just kill something on the board. Do you know how many times I've seen someone just blow up a soul ring? Yeah. Soul yeah. rings are powerful, but I don't know if you want to be using your resource on just a little bit of their mana ramp or yeah. uh, countering their first spell. Yeah. Right. Or a mana ramp spell or something like that. That is something that you desperately need to deal with, like you said, triage. Something that literally does damage to you. Something that harms your game plan. And honestly, uh, them putting an extra land on the battlefield doesn't really harm your game plan that much. It depends, right? I think there could be arguments for like, I'm blowing up your soul ring because that soul ring is actually, I can see, giving you the mana to recast your general next turn. Okay. And that's going to be when the game. Yeah. Right? That's so you're talking like, about tempo there a little bit. A little bit. But, yeah. but you know, there are reasons to do things. But just blowing yeah. it up, just like, because in, and again, we keep referring to the 1v1 formats because a lot of this sort of common knowledge comes from there, but a lot of it is wrong when applied to, when applied to Commander. And there's this thought in 1v1 of like, if I pass with open mana and they play something, even if it's not that good, I should probably counter it mm -hmm. because otherwise I just wasted my entire turn, mm -hmm. right? And I did nothing for my turn. So I might as well counter, even if they know I have a counter spell and they're playing their crappiest thing so that I'll waste my counter spell on that, it's still in 1v1 very often correct to counter the thing. Whereas in Commander, I believe it that it's not very often. In fact, like you said, you should really only answer things that you know are you know threats to you and kind of big ones. Or if you don't know, the downside of being incorrect is so bad, like lose the game bad, that it's yeah. just not worth the risk. Well, in 1v1, you know that's coming at you. Right. Yep. You 100% know. And in terms of countering in that tempo, in say Limited, for example, I feel like you need to shoot off that counterspell. You don't know when you're gonna have the opportunity to do that and going a full turn without committing something to the board in limited, oh, it's a disaster. You yeah. need to be able to be playing spells. And so people have these mindsets that they try to carry into commander and they don't always correlate. Yeah, one thing that Marshall and those guys on Limited Resources talk about is who's the beatdown, and it's very much a 1v1 mentality. And it, it works kind of like a fencing match or a sword fight, where let's say you're, you're on the attack or someone's attacking you, you know, if you leave a, a chance open, you're like, I have a plan. Now, they're going to try and do something. I'm going to stop it, and then I'm going to counterattack. That's sort of what it is. It's like I can switch the momentum. I can change the tempo to be on so that I'm the one running them down. But when you're doing that to one single person in a multiplayer game and the two other players are just looking at you two fighting, all of a sudden you're putting yourself at a huge disadvantage because it's almost like you're turning your back to the other players just because you wanted to repost someone, to, to, to temporarily foil them instead of doing the one most important thing, which is not losing the game yourself. 
That's right. You mentioned something like who's the beatdown. Uh, that brought up an idea of that even if you don't have a specific control deck, if you're at a specific commander table, you could be playing the role of the control deck. Right. Oh, that's a really good point, actually. Yeah. Because yeah. that's how it goes in, in limited or 1v1 or whatever is, even though you didn't build the aggressive deck, in some matchups, <laughs> you realize, oh, I'm the aggressor here, and I'm going to lose if this game goes longer, so yeah. I'm trying to make it short. And yeah, so in some games... In Commander, you're like, oh, I'm the only one at the table that has answers for stuff. <laughs> I'm suddenly the control deck. So I'm, yeah. I have to play this game because otherwise, you know, somebody's going to combo out or somebody's going to get some something crazy going and I have to be careful and change how I'm used to playing because that's just my job this game. That's my only chance of winning. Um, we talked about counterspells earlier, but I, I put it under, you know, when you're playing, the case of the counterspell is... It's the hardest card to play in Magic. Definitely in Commander, it's the hardest card to play. Maybe not in Magic, but in multiplayer, it's very difficult because of what you said earlier. It's super versatile, counterspells generally, not all of them, but your the card counterspell will counter anything. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't care if it's an enchantment, an artifact, a planeswalker, you know, it will counter the spell. Oh, however, split second. split second is the only. Yeah, however, it takes away that second question, right? What you should answer when you should answer it. Well, Counterspell doesn't give you option to answer it at a different time. It's like, now or never, pal. Yeah. Do you want to counter it? So very powerful, but the drawback is very real. And I feel like when I see sort of inexperienced players or you know newer players or players that I consider not as strong, they'll often counter things where I'm just in my mind going like, well, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't counter that. Yeah. You know, If I were them in their seat, I wouldn't counter that. And there's that classic thing that we've all said and... Is, which is like, I just said it actually a, a little bit ago, which is like, I wish I hadn't encountered that. Yeah. <laughs> and you usually say it at the end always, of the game when always. you're dead. Yeah, you say it at the end of the game when you're dead because you were thinking like that thing that I countered earlier was not a big a deal as the thing that happened and I wish I still had that counter in my hand to counter the really bad thing. Yeah. Well, it's a spectrum because you're like, oh, I, I can't believe I countered that. But then you're like, oh, I needed to counter that. Or sometimes you can't just be afraid and keep those counters in your hand. And so uh, it does create this set of anxiety and that's why it's so hard to play uh so sometimes you just got to shoot those counter spells off and sometimes you got to hold on to them yeah um i think that one thing that helps that format this idea of counter spells and takes a lot of pressure off uh is that timing and so counter spells being instant speed and needing to be right at that moment just imagine if the rest of your deck could be played at instant speed mm-hmm. i know i don't have to tell you guys this but uh vidalcan ori leyline of anticipation pretty good pretty good pretty, cards pretty good dj and i had a pretty, pretty good, good vidalcan ori showdown cards. a few weeks ago oh really yeah that's why i knew dj was one of us because he's playing vidalcan ori and we both knew it was it was this game i'm not going to go through the whole thing but you could tell dj and i both knew there was a moment that was going to happen on the end step right before his turn and we both just kind of saved up for it everybody else just did stuff and we were like yep 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 okay and the end step came and we we're like Ready? <laughs> yeah, and it was like, who's going to blink? How many stuff does everybody have? What's the plan here? <laughs> the and tumbleweed flies across yeah. the screen. The great thing about that, too, is that you totally won because you actually came that after was me, the great too. Thing. Yeah. Like, you came after me. And so, turn position, when we both have Vidalcan Orri, like, came into effect and you were able to pull ahead totally. And so, this Vidalcan Orri showdown ended up again being decided by who was able to play their cards later. Yeah. Yeah, playing when you play your cards, just so important. Yeah, um, yeah. instant speed is everything, I think, for control. It's, we, yeah. it's oh, everything. 100%. Yeah, to me, like, if you're playing a control deck and you have to play anything at sorcery speed, it just feels horrible. 
Now, a lot of the time we're talking about the reactive control style. A lot of times the proactive sort of so taxation, are, the yeah. stack stuff, you can play a lot of those at sorcery speed. You can deploy your enchantment, your, your other stuff at sorcery speed and be like, yep, you guys try and get through that. Uh, so it's a lot of the reactive stuff where you need to hold up. Man. I almost think of stacks as like its own. I don't even think of it as control as much. It's like its own archetype. Mm -hmm. Like Voltron is Voltron and, you know, combo is combo and stacks is stacks to mm -hmm. me. I don't know that I'd put it fully in control, although it's definitely leaning towards control more than it is towards those other things. So mm -hmm. fair enough. There's some bleed over between all of it. Um, <laughs> okay, so the next point here when you're playing your control deck, and it's kind of the foil to know your meta, it's know the players. So, and this is difficult. You can't always do it, but, you know, there's some nice shortcuts I think you can you can use in that, like, you can look at the commander they're playing. I right, might not know true. you. Yeah. And you can also just see generally how they behave in the first few turns of the game. In the first few turns of the game, you can tell like a player is generally an aggressive player. You can tell that player that has the ability to attack somebody, looks around the table, decides not to. That's a certain mm. kind of player. Right. right. You yeah. can read into some things. So, but again, in your when you're in a meta, and a lot of people are where like you play with the same people all the time. Well, then you really know those people, right? I, Jimmy, I can't get Jimmy knows most of the time what I'm doing and I know what he's doing. And really, it's just a question of can we convince the other people It's always trust that us. same question. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've looked at the table and been like, you, we need to stop bickering, children, <laughs> and look at what Josh is going to do because it will end the game and you will not be winning on the other end of it. So you're not getting anything past them, but not everybody does that. Jimmy, there's players we've played with for years that aren't still playing us as players. They're playing our deck against right. our decks. And, and I think... If you're playing the players and understanding their motivations and how they like to play, you'll be in a much better position and particularly in control when so much of what you're doing is trying to sort of future predict. Right. They're playing something. Nothing you're going to play in Commander is going to be like happy for everybody except maybe group hug decks. You know, Terastodon, Emrakuls, whatever it is. And you're looking at it and you're going, okay, it's bad. It's always going to be bad <laughs> when they cast things. How bad is it? How soon is that coming at me? I'm future predicting. Mm -hmm. And knowing the players helps you do that, you know, innumerably. Yeah, I think we've all played against a player who's that junkyard dog. The one that uh, says, yeah, yeah. They, they'll latch onto you and they'll just keep going. And knowing that type of player will give you an advantage. Well, how big of an advantage is it to just not be the first person they hit? Now you don't have to fade every turn. You just got to fade the first attack. That's mm -hmm. the big thing with Craig, right? Get something out early. Point, get him pointed somewhere else. And once he's hit somebody else, I don't even have to worry about him. He's going after them. Until he comes after you. But that's going to be later. <laughs> that's for future Josh. I triaged about. it. Yeah. Yeah, he triaged it. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, so, yeah. So, what are the tendencies of the players you're playing? What's their threat? Oh, yeah. What's your opponent's threat, threat assessment, assessment like? Yeah. This is a big one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What can I get out there in this group? That's Because often you're looking at your hand and you're going like, okay, there's a certain amount of things I want to do myself. Not just stop everybody. If I play this in this group, it's probably going to stick around. Whereas if I play this creature, they're going to think of it as scary. But mm -hmm. in another group, the creature might be the thing that they overlook and the, the enchantment will be what they find scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, playing out, stuff out in a different order is often huge. Um, also, you'll find that some people are like, I'm going to counter anytime he tutors as opposed to I'm going to try and counter the thing that they tutor out. You know, And I think that's a huge sign of like how you can play around stuff is being able to tutor in a non-descript way. I've seen a lot of people happen, which is like, Hey, during your end step, I'm going to tutor. And say you start doing it fast and just saying like, well, let's see if this person is able to throw this as correctly to know that like, oh, we need to remember now that Josh tutored for something instead of waiting. Because I find that the, the more time you give people to think about something, the more they're going to start figuring out your plan. 
So if it's like, okay, a pastor in Eugene was like, all right, I'm going to tutor, and you sit there for a, like a minute. What do you think players are either going to talk amongst themselves or they're going to look at you and think, what is he looking for right now? And should we be worried <laughs> about it? So a lot of that stuff, I think, is like definitely meta dependent. Well, and you can you can manipulate the table. I shouldn't say manipulate. You can right. have politics at the table uh, where you can redirect people He's where they need to go. He's manipulating you with his word choice right now. What's yeah, wrong with yeah, the word yeah, manipulate? Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. We'll go back. We'll back. Uh, <laughs> no, we no, need no, to I'm manipulate. <laughs> <laughs> we need, no, you can you can really. Uh, have people think what you want them to think, honestly. Right, yeah. And you can d- put them right in the direction where they need to go. So for example, uh, let's say that Craig, we like talking about him, right? Talking about him a lot this episode. Well, he's the editor, hey, so he no. hears the whole thing. Hey, Craig. Hey, Craig. Uh, so we could sort to plowshare his infect creature, or we could sort to plowshare Jimmy's blocker. Oh, good point. I like that a lot, actually, because one allows... You know, and there's different reasons to source supplies for my creature. Let's say you can find a whole different reason, but at the same time, it's like you're parting the Red Sea for Craig just to like see a different beacon of light down the end. It's like you know what, I'm going to go towards that guy instead. Now. And we know the type of player he is. We right. know that he that's going to direct him towards you. Especially if you can say for a reason, like hey, you've already got one infect on him. Yeah. You know, or like you you can give them a reason to do something. All of a sudden, you're gifting him a gift that he never asked for. Craig, we're not manipulating you. No, that's just the right play. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this next point is pretty interesting, um, and it's something I think people don't talk or think about enough, which is mana advantage. So, you know, one of the ways I always say to beat a control deck, people people email us all the time or whatever about different things they're having problems with in their meta. There's this one player, they do this. How do I beat that? Right. Here's how you do it. Play a graveyard hate. Um, but control decks present a really interesting problem for a lot of players. They just can't figure it out. They're countering everything I do. What can I do about that? And one of the first things I tell them, lower the mana curve in your deck. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just take your deck and make it as many ones, twos, and three drops as you can because a a counterspell dedicated deck has very big problems once stuff's out, right? Now, there's Cyclonic Rifts and other things, and we'll talk about not overcommitting to the board in a second, but there's a mana disparity between what's happening a lot of times that you can take advantage of with control. So like if they're spending one mana to get rid of your eight mana thing, you got screwed in that exchange. Mm -hmm. You lost seven mana. However, if they're spending three mana to get rid of your two mana thing, you screwed them in that exchange. You're getting an advantage. And see, we found that in Commander, a lot of the times when you win a game is when you're playing multiple spells a turn. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Desertion is a counter spell that's undoubtedly powerful right? Uh, but if you're playing five mana counters, then you're losing out on this man advantage. You don't have the ability to counter two things in a turn or answer someone else's counter. So sometimes you have to take into account power level for mana advantage. We talked about how powerful that Swords to Plowshares is just because of how easy it is to cast it. One mana, instant mm-hmm. speed. Yep, you're never down really mana with a Swords to Plowshares. Yeah. Right. Um, that's something I think about a lot when I'm playing on both sides of the control. So when you're playing in a matchup against somebody, you want to present them with threats that they have to answer at a disadvantage to them mana-wise. And when you're playing on the other side, you want to be answering threats at an advantage from the mana perspective. So if you can, you want to be spending less mana than whatever it is that, that you're destroying or getting rid of. Right. You can't always do it, but you often can. That's, again, Swan Song. Why we say Swan Song is just one of the great cards in all of Commander. One of the greats. One of the greats. Okay. Um, this was inspired, I put this down, inspired by our little showdown, which mm. was look for key moments in the game. <laughs> and like you just said, 
most games of Commander, I believe, are won by a sequence of a you know two or three, maybe four spells in the same turn or yeah. on the end step, c- coupled with your turn, you know, in rapid succession that sort of add up to more than the sum of their parts, and you know, maybe not like. I think people get confused with like where the game was won and when it actually ended. Mm, yeah, that's right. So a lot of times, like like in our game, we had that showdown, and I came on top, and the game continued for three or four turns. But I won the game in that turn. You kept you kept what you needed on the board. Yeah, and you kept everything intact while disrupting the rest of the table. And so even though you didn't win in that exact moment, that was the time where you locked it up. Right. And so those key moments, and I talked about how we both knew that moment was coming. We were both, that's when I was like, oh, we got to get DJ on the show because I know DJ's a good player because we both just <laughs> looked you. at each other and we knew like, oh, but you saw that coming, right? We just saw it coming <laughs> four turns ahead of time and there it was. So you have to be really aware of your opponents, what they've got out, what they're setting up. There's this energy people get too, you can kind of tell. Yeah, they're like turn, they're churning the machine. They're ready to press the button to make the spring go, doing, you know, and like they're ready to win. It's, that's how I'd say you beat Josh Lee Kwai. Is you know there's going to be that turn, and it may come earlier than you expect, but you have to be ready for it. Yep. And it's that balance. Again, if you're playing control, you need to figure out how you can advance your own game plan while not being purely reactive, while figuring out a way to set up your win condition at a certain point. But that's how I think you beat anybody. That's how I try and beat Jimmy Wong, too, which is like you're just looking for that moment, that you key moment. You played Jimmy Wong and Commander <laughs> and beaten him? Amazing. I didn't say I've beaten him. I just said that's how I try. <laughs> we may have video evidence to the contrary. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and I think... When you're playing control, you really need to think about that at all times. Like, And we, we keep talking about triaging and how bad is it. When a player's about to win the game, that's really bad. So you need to have your radar set to like above everything else. It's like, this is bad, this is bad. Oh, man, that person might be about to win. Right. Mm-hmm. That I'm just saving everything for. Yeah. So how do you win with a control deck? Yeah. Activate winning. Power up. Well, for one... Don't get too excited. I think this happens a lot in commander games where people will be like, this is my chance. Everyone's tapped out. I'm going to do half the things I need to do to win the game. And then everyone yep. turns and looks and goes, do you guys just see what happened over here? And then your game plan is over because everyone knows, okay, well, we'll remove this and we'll remove that. And all of a sudden, this this machine that you started building elaborately in the distance while everyone was fighting out, they, they turned over and they saw this weird construct going up. They're like, hold on, guys. We, we got to deal with this. And that happens a lot, I think, because people see an opportunity and then they just go, they they shoot and they're like, this is it. I'm going to, I'm just going to try it. I'm going for it. Yeah. You yeah. got to be able to protect it and not just protect it once. If you put out a win condition and then just pass the turn, every single one of your opponents that's smart is going to be going after your win condition. And so you have to protect it for player one, player two, and player three. Mm-hmm. So you have to be ready to switch gears and start really winning. Yeah, one thing you put down, DJ, that I really like is be realistic. Oh, yeah. So imagine a realistic scenario. And usually that involves you played something and somebody identifies it as a real problem. That's what you have to think to yourself. Okay, this is important to my deck and important to me winning. Mm-hmm. When I play it, what if somebody notices that it's important to my deck and important to me winning? Do I have an answer for that? If I don't, maybe mm-hmm. don't play it. Right. Maybe wait until I do. And I go, if somebody notices, I'm not too worried because I have a counterspell. If somebody notices, I'm not as worried. I have, you know, a heroic intervention. Right. If somebody notices, I can get it back from my graveyard. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Or if someone notices, I have a redundant way of doing that same thing. You know, and I think that's another way that really good control players win, which is put out a false threat. 
make everyone think that they've dealt with the problem. And then when everyone's back's turned again, like, ha-ha, you know, it's like that scene in movies when they think the villain's down, finally. Or the boss in video games, they all turn their back, like, we did it! And then you hear the rumbling in the background. Yeah, and they're, like, back up. They're like, yeah! And you're like, oh, darn, we should have known that there was a second phase to this Luckily, boss fight. Luckily, your old friend that you thought betrayed you is always there in the background, and you take care of that person right as they're about to stab yeah, you in right, the back. Yeah, right, yeah. It's the Han Solo one with the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think one last thing about, about winning and about playing control decks is as you're playing in order to get better, you need to be honest with yourself. When you play a board wipe, you need to look and say, well, what am I actually removing? You mm -hmm. might kill 10 creatures, but maybe only two of them were a real threat to you. Right. A lot of times we play these X for ones, we play these big splashy spells, uh, and we think we get these great deals out of it. We play decimate, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, you get a creature, an artifact, enchantment, and land. You're like, I got a four for one but what happens if only one of those cards was a real threat to you? You have to be honest with yourself and be happy about that four for one, but also be like, no, that was like a one for one with some gravy. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to be honest about your win conditions, about defending them. And this is just in your own mind for improving yourself as a control player, about thinking, well, I got lucky that time that I won. I played my win condition halfway through, like you were mentioning, and, and it just they stuck didn't around. answer it. They just yeah. stuck around and yeah. I won. Uh, and so... And then when you do that and it doesn't work out, think, yeah, I need, to, I need to do that a little bit differently. And those are the incremental steps that you have to go through mm -hmm. in order to get better at playing control. Yeah, and I really Great like point. this idea of sort of thinking back through the game and looking for missteps. Even when you win, it's easier when you lose, obviously. Um, <laughs> but even when you win, you can sort of be honest and be like, okay, I probably shouldn't have done this. That was probably a mistake. Yeah, it's something that I think we tend to naturally do because we have a podcast and yeah. I'm always looking for things to think about. So every time I play, my brain's like, was there anything in that game that I could talk about on the show or make a show out of? And so you're naturally going through and being like, why did I do that? That was yeah. really stupid, actually. That's that's one of the top things that Marshall says, which is if you're playing on Modo, you know, go back and watch the games you win because you're going to be making mistakes in those games all the time. And if you just sort of check at the bottom, I think this is the classic thing that almost every player that is moderately new will do, which is like, I won the game, I did nothing wrong. <laughs> I won the yeah. game, I got lucky, but it's okay because I won. Yeah. You know, they yeah. don't think about the decision points that could have swayed it one way or the other had their opponent done the right thing or had they not made a mistake. So it's really easy to play in your own vacuum of winning once you get there. So that's a really good point. All right, let's talk about playing against a control deck. So you're, we're, we're switching roles. We're not the control deck anymore. We're actually facing a control deck. And what are some strategies and maybe deck building, maybe playing that we can sort of use, you know, against the control player. We talked about the control player having very few win conditions. We want them that to be really small uh, part of our deck. So if we can attack those win conditions, we can neuter the control deck. Right. They can't do anything. Uh, one of my favorite cards, Sadistic Sacrament. Yeah. So mean. <laughs> So uh, black, 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 and uh, you can search through their deck and exile uh, some of some cards from there. I think it's three. Uh, yeah, it's three. Yeah. Uh, but if you play the kicker, which is what is the kicker seven or something like that? It's an it's an insane you, kicker. Yeah, uh, you can exile fifteen cards. Yeah, <laughs> which you can a control deck. You only need three. You to really just, honestly only need three to get rid of you know probably all of their ways to win. Yeah, you know? I have control decks that. Uh, outside of the commander, sometimes the commander throws a wrench in this yeah. idea. But I have some control decks that uh, are based on, you know, uh, Torment of Hailfire, Exsanguinate, mm -hmm. and like Villainous Wealth. And then suddenly if all of those are gone, I'm like, um... It's really good against combo yeah. too, right? If you know yeah. their combo, you get rid of their Doomsday. Mm. You get rid of their <laughs> Lab Maniac. Mm. You know, those are cards that if they're in their deck, you probably want to get rid of them. And 
it's very possible that those are the literal only ways they have to actually win the game. Yeah. Yeah. So, or they're the silver bullets against your deck too, right? They're oftentimes you're like, man, if one Vandal Blast gets cast, it's over, and I have no way of going around it. So, it's cards like this exactly, even though on surface it's like, why would you play something like that? Actually, very effective. Um, you put down fight over three for ones, not one for ones. Yeah. Um, I honestly think that control decks need to generate card advantage. They desperately need to. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when you see them going after these big, uh, regain like restock their their hands you need to fight over those not necessarily their little plays uh so if they tutor for example you were mentioning tutoring before about the people that counter the tutor mm -hmm. instead of uh the actual thing they tutor for don't fight over the tutor fight over the threat that they need to don't go after uh that single card that's just gonna get rid of your creature you have plenty of creatures in your deck uh go after the board wipes because sometimes uh that board wipe is something that control player needs to just stay in the game yeah and think about what you can deal with as opposed to what your opponents can deal with, right? If it's a creature that's attacking that could just get blocked eventually and die or get removed by creature removal that you know other players are packing, maybe that's not the creature you need to remove at that moment. Maybe you should let the game play out a little bit. Because again, if it's not going after you, someone else is going to have to deal with it. And I can't tell you how many times where I've just been like, oh man, we got to deal with that while holding three answers to it in my hand <laughs> yep. and letting someone else deal with it. <laughs> um Here's another good one you put down, DJ, which is make them have it. Oh, yes. Make them have it. Sometimes they, you threaten a counter spell, and then it somehow counters like three different spells just by the threat of it. You're like, uh, okay, resolves. Yeah. yeah. This is the cyclonic <laughs> rift uh, dilemma. We've, yeah. In, in oh, the that's past. right. It's a cryptic command dilemma. I'll tap all your creatures down and draw a card. It's one of my favorite okay, moves. attack you. It's one of my favorite moves in general, which is like, I think it happened in the Loading Ready Run episode, too, where you were like, you know, I'll kill your Nicol Bolas, and I was like, Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't want you to, but if you have to, go for it. You know, I think people's natural response to, like, a threat is to start backing down without thinking, like, well, how bad is that? Right. Okay, fine, do that. You know, whatever. Like, that that piece is not super important. You're wasting something that you're going to have anyway and probably waste on it anyway. Just make them have it, you know, when you can. Yeah. And th this is a spectrum because if you're always the one that makes the control player have it, then you're always you're not going to win, and they're not going to win. Yeah, you have <laughs> yeah. two other players at the commander table going, "Oh, this is sweet. He's always <laughs> calling his bluff. This is awesome. Look, he cryptic commanded him down. I'm going to attack him later." No, so this is always on a spectrum. So you should make him have it, but maybe get some of the other players in on it. Yeah, uh, we talked about already lowering your mana curve, applying pressure. Um, you put something in the notes. I remember that was like the control player is the happiest when they're doing nothing. Oh yeah. If they just if they're just sitting back and they don't have to cast a spell, that's great. Yeah. And a lot of times that means they're not the threat. They're not threatening out on the board. And people will squabble amongst themselves. You might swing just a little poke in at the control player here and there just to remind them that you're still around. Yeah. But the control player will just keep gaining card advantage. Will keep uh, putting letting you overcommit to the board and stuff like that. Yeah. And then they'll strike. Yeah, think about what the control player is trying to do. They're trying to maintain this delicate balance, right? If they're standing with their toe, like a you know a, a, someone from the Tarkir world, the Jeskai clan, you know, they're standing with the single toe on the thing, balancing like this. And every single time that they have to do something, they're planning on doing it and they're delivering that spell. But if you're forcing them to constantly be off balance, to do stuff out of order, to do things they don't want to, then you're really actually hurting them further down the line because it's going to take them longer for them to get back up, longer for them to re really reestablish where they want to be. And if you can get a control player off balance, then you're going to be able to really find the edges that are, will take you past their four, five, six walls of defense or however many they put up. 
Uh, the next one, again, something we sort of touched on, which is force them into negative mana exchanges. So it's really good if you can have your little creature be something they have to answer with, you know, more mana or... It, I, I would say negative tempo exchanges too, just mm-hmm. which isn't just mana, but sometimes it's at a time when they don't want to have to do something about it. You make them do it. Yeah. Um, you make them do it, and then suddenly they're tapped out for two other players' turns. Yeah, like, like think of like a Maze of Ith, right? And I've talked about mm-hmm. this on the show a lot. So it's my turn. I have a Maze of Ith. Goes to DJ. He has a creature that can attack me. I go, I got Maze of Ith. I don't know if you want to do that. And he goes, yeah, you're right. I swing at Craig. And then goes to Jimmy's turn, and he's got a creature. And I go, well, I've got Maze of Ith. I don't know if you do that. And he's like, yeah, you're right. And hits DJ. Then it goes to Craig's turn. I got Maze of Ith. What happened if DJ just swung at me? Then everyone else. I used else. my Maze of Ith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, DJ's got an untapped creature and has Jimmy and Craig who can still hit me. And we're not attacking him because he has a blocker. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So... Yeah, that's sort of in the make them have a category, but I think that sort of line of thinking is really important against a control deck. Don't be cowed by them. Don't open up avenues, not just for yourself, but for other people to that's sort right. of come after them. Yeah. Also, cards like Pact of Negation, amazing card, but it forces them to tap mana down. And it's like, or, or if it's their turn, it's like, it's my turn. It's like, right, I'm going to do some stuff on your turn and make you use your mana now instead of having the ability to hoard it over us on the other turns. Um, and the last one, and this is a really big one, but it's hard. <laughs> Uh, don't overcommit. Man, playing creatures is fun. Let's just flood the board. It wins yeah. the game. Yeah. Yeah. Be very careful about ever getting to the point where, like, if this goes badly and they board wipe, I'm top decking or I only have one card mm-hmm. or I just can't recover. And you can build your deck to make sure that you don't overcommit. We just got a card to Fairy's Protection. Have you ever played that in response to a Cyclonic Rift? So it's good. It's the best feeling. You should do it. It's, it's like one nice. of the best feelings ever. You should ever. do it. <laughs> you should try that. <laughs> uh, but easy things like Boros Charm against a board wipe. And basically, you can sort of make sure that you don't overcommit through some deck building. But also, maybe hold a little bit back sometimes. Mm-hmm. Make sure uh, that you don't put too much out there so that you can't recover if the control player starts controlling. Right. I think there's a point a lot of times where like you have a choice between things you can do and um, you know, I'm thinking of like Rishkar's expertise. A lot of times it's correct. You've got three creatures out. You can play two more. Eh, just play the Rishkar's expertise now. Refill your hand. And then you can sort of commit more things to the board rather than committing more things to the board. You get board wipe. Rishkar's expertise is no good because you don't have any creatures. You're just in a much worse position there. Whereas like, yeah, if you played two more creatures rather than draw drew a few extra cards, your board would look a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Is it win the game better? Probably not. In which case, play it safe. Make sure that you have follow-up plays if the bad thing happens. Um, all all right. right. That is our opus on control decks. You know, we could do 20 episodes on control. I can keep, I can Probably. keep going. It's crazy. Keep talking. It's Josh crazy. cut down my outline. It was like it was like too long. He's like, let me let me... Let me he sent me bit. like nine pages of stuff, and I was like, this is awesome. Uh, we can't do all that in Which one episode. <laughs> means you're coming back at some point, right, DJ? That's right. All right, well, to the listeners, we have questions for you. As always, we want to know what your experiences are with control decks. Are you the person that you're playing the control deck? Are you playing against a lot of them? Have you found specific strategies that we didn't mention today that you think work really well or against control decks? And really, I want to know what's worked for you. Um, because again, this is going to be something that's very meta-dependent. It's going to be very different across all of EDH. I want to know whether or not you found your way. What's your dagger? What's your secret ace up your sleeve against control decks? Or what's your ace up your sleeve as a control deck? I want to see cards in the comments so that we can really go through there and find out exactly what you do against control decks. Like, oh, look at that card. Look yeah. at that card. Oh, that, that's really good for a control. It's really good against a control deck. It's right. going to be really exciting. 
Yeah, and when I see those cards, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone, and I'm going to order so them easy. using the so affiliate link. So good. Because that will be supporting the command zone, and Jimmy and Josh, and all of their awesome content, and I'll feel really <laughs> good about myself if I do that. Ding. That was like almost someone else wrote it. I go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone because not only do I need great shipping and service on my cards, but I also like supporting one of my favorite commander podcasts out there. Jumbo Commander. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also, make sure that you uh, pick up some Ultra Pro products when you're there because, you know, that also supports the show. We really do appreciate all the people. And I will say that just feedback from, I'm pretty sure just our community caused Ultra Pro to create 100 car or 100 sleeve packs of eclipses like i'm pretty convinced that the comments on game nights and our podcast is what caused them to do that so they really do listen which i think is really good in a mm-hmm. company so i'm pretty proud of that actually good and job everybody dj before we get on to the end step where can we find you on the World Wide web where can our devoted listeners and followers get to your stuff that's right i post videos on youtube you can look me up jumbo commander on youtube i'm on twitter at jumbo commander easy names to remember all right he also has the elephant just like his grandfather that's right yeah Ah. the elephant logo i was listening i was listening okay (laughs) now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic i like what you have written down there oh my gosh do you know it of Uh, Of course i mean i know the guy of course you know the guy (laughs) i know the author okay okay i'm an avid reader Mm -hmm. uh and i love science fiction i love fantasy i read a ton and one of my favorite authors john scalzi is coming out with a new book uh you might know john scalzi from red shirts right old man's Man's war War. uh agent to the stars those are just three of my favorites uh, i just read uh collapsing empire like finished last week oh yeah 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 I'm a good stuff. Did you like it? Yeah, I like all stuff. He's uh, only like everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't like all Fuzz, books. I like Fuzzy all Scalzi stuff. Scalzi stuff is so good. Yeah, he's one yeah. of my favorites. And he's coming out with a new book uh, called Head On. And uh, I think it's going to be really good. Just because I like John Scalzi, honestly. Uh, so I'm super excited about that. And uh, I think you guys should... I don't know if this book's good. You guys should probably read like Agent of the Stars or Old Man's Old War. Man's War. Old Man's War is great one, or something like that. What would you re- Old Man, uh, Okay, so Agent to the Scars. Stars is funny. It's mm-hmm. like a, it's like a super geeky, weird, funny sci-fi kind of thing. Old Man's War is like classic sci-fi. We're going into war. Gotcha. It has some a funny bit, moments. A little bit cheesy sometimes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I love it. Like almost that Starship Troopers kind of cheesy. Sometimes. Yeah, a little bit. It's really it's but it's really good. Um, I love Starship Troopers. So oh yeah, it's a cool classic. And, and John Scalzi writes in that kind of style. Perfect. I think it's really great. Yeah, he's really easy to read. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's uh, pretty know, funny on Twitter too. He's a good really? person. Oh my to follow. gosh, yeah. I need to follow him. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love when when author because I mean they're writers. Yeah. You give them 280 characters, see what they can do, right? <laughs> he's pretty he's good. Speaking um, of doing things right. Oh yes. Sorry, I missed my segue. <laughs> uh the, our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern. <laughs> I was so good with my segue earlier and then I lost and then I lost it. You John Scalzi has a Twitter. Do the Masters of Modern have a Twitter <laughs> handle? Oh, uh, that's a good point. <laughs> Speaking of Twitter handles, the Masters of Modern <laughs> at the MMCast. You can find them on Collected.company right next to us. Alex Kessler, Ben Bateman. They talk about the modern format and all things competitive magic. Highly recommend you check those out. Our editor for the show is Craig Blanchett. You can check out the video versions of this podcast at youtube.com slash the command zone podcast. And big thanks as always to Jeffrey Palmer, who does the living card animations behind us. He did. As well as the opening and closing of our show. You can find him on Twitter at LivingCardsMTG. All right, DJ, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure having you. It was great. It was great. Please don't play control against me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Peace. For your attention, for 
For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs>